0: It's a privilege to be with you all again. And I've been spending a lot of time meditating on Ezekiel lately. And if you remember last time I shared, I talked about the river of God and diving deeper and experiencing a greater experience with the Holy Spirit, a deeper experience. And today we're gonna take a little bit different journey. We're gonna go through a valley. But it's no ordinary valley. In fact, it's extraordinary. So we're going to start off by reading Ezekiel 37, verses 1 and 2, and find out about this valley today. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, They were very dry. And I wonder what Ezekiel thought of when he first saw this. That must have been an amazing experience. Just all of these bones, all of this death, destruction, despair. This is no ordinary place. In fact, probably quite a gruesome scene if you think about it. But as we'll see today, in this place of despair, in this place of hopelessness, God chooses to reveal his power. He reveals his word. He reveals a promise of restoration. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're not just going to look at the vision text by text, but we're trying to understand the truths that God is going to speak to us and apply them to our lives today. We want to understand how God's power can bring life to dead situations the life-changing nature of his word, and his promise of restoration. My hope is we'll find some relevance to our lives today, and find some encouragement to trust in God's power, engage in his word, and believe his promise of restoration. So let's first look and establish this point that God can bring life in dead situations, or apparently dead situations just as he brings these dead bones back to life, he can breathe new life into us and into a seemingly hopeless situation. It might not even be us, but something we're involved in. And it all starts with verses three and four. Let's read them. We're in the ESV this morning, in case you were wondering. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? What an amazing question. On the surface... Can these bones live? Well, no, they're all dried out. They must have been in that situation for a very long time to be that dry. And Ezekiel answers, Oh Lord, only you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. It starts with Ezekiel saying, Lord, only you know. In my mind, No, probably not. And if you imagine sitting out over this valley, I assure you it was not a small place. It seems like it was a large place because we'll see it towards the end. It grows into an exceedingly great army. But Lord, only you know. In my eyes, they don't live. They can't live. It's impossible. But you know. He believes. There's a certain amount of belief there. And then God tells him, prophesy, and he starts with, hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. When God speaks, first of all, we have to believe. We have to believe that he says, that what he says, he can do. When asked if these dry bones could live, Ezekiel didn't rely on his own understanding. He could have said, "Well, no, I don't think so. <laughs> he could have relied on his own reasoning. And instead, he acknowledged that only God knows better. How many times are we in a desperate situation where we go, oh, yeah, this one's rough. I don't know if we can make it through this one. Versus just saying, oh, Lord, only you know. It's a different level of trust, isn't it? It's a different level of reliance on God. So what does he do? Go to verses five and six. Then says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and i will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that i am the lord your god it starts by causing breath to come jesus can god jesus the father can bring life in a desperate or desolate hopeless situation seemingly hopeless John 11, 25 through 26. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he replies, do you believe this? Do we believe this? This is the the very core of our belief. This is the very core of our belief structure, Christianity in general. Believing in Christ means we live forever in him. Another desperate situation, we won't read it, but tangentially, is Elijah. If you want to write down in your notes for a little interesting story, 1 Kings 9, verses 9 through 18, Elijah is not a very popular prophet with the Authorities that be at the time, two people by the name of Ahab and Jezebel, co-partners in evil and death and destruction. And they hated Elijah. Why? Because he spoke the word of the Lord. and They wanted to kill him. In this passage, he's running from Elijah, fleeing for his, or running from Jezebel, excuse me, fleeing, feeling desolate. And in this situation, God speaks, amazingly enough. Not in an earthquake, not in a great fire, not in a great wind, but in a still, small voice. In this terrible situation, God speaks and brings life and brings new hope to Elijah's desperate situation. He says, Lord, I'm all by myself. And he says, no, you're not. I've got it covered. There's other people over here. He's not alone and his commission. is not in vain. So what are some takeaways from this first section? First of all, do we feel dry? Are there areas in our lives where we say, ooh, I'm dried out? Is there something hopeless or desolate or apparently hopeless or desolate that we're dealing with? Maybe a broken relationship, a personal struggle. Be real with God. Say, Lord, breathe life into me. This is dry. This is not good. Lord, I need your help. Also, reflect on times and be thankful for when God has done this in the past. Lord, you've done it in the past. You've revitalized me in the past. And I know you can do it again. Even if you're not dry now, you can say, Lord, you really breathed life into that situation, and I'm so thankful. So recollect what he's done. So we've seen that God can bring life into desolate situations, but now let's move on to point two, and let's see the power of God's word. It was through God's command, his word, that the dry bones were brought back to life. This, can serve, this is a reminder to us of the life-changing power of God's word. Ezekiel 37, verse 7, So, as I was told, I prophesied, as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. The living word of God, the word of God is living. It's alive. It's powerful. It's creative. Read Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's so interesting, this verse, compared to what we just read in Ezekiel, where at the word of God, there's division between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, tendons and flesh. And yet in Ezekiel 37, at the word of God, all of those things are brought back together again. He can create, he can give life, but he also brings division from things that need to be divided out, soul and spirit and so forth. God's word is not limited to just division or creation. He can do all things with his word. <clears throat> Isaiah fifty-five eleven. So my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it will accomplish that which I purpose. His word is powerful creative, active. and Whatever he says, it's not empty words. It's coming back with something. With something. Also, verses 9 and 10, Ezekiel 37. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath. Thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived, they stood on their feet and what? They were an exceeding great army. So you could, through science, you could put those bones back together. You saw it in your biology class, probably those little skeletons where you learned about all of the 206 bones in the human body. And if you really wanted to, you could probably create skin and tendons and bones or at least some sort of facsimile of it. But you can't breathe life into it. No way. You can't put a spirit and a soul in it. He says, prophesy to the breath. It was an incomplete act. At the beginning, all it was was a bunch of connected bones rattling, right? But then he says, breathe life into it. And that's where The creative power is finished and demonstrated the breath of God's word. From this gruesome place of despair and hopelessness, an exceeding great army arises. And what was the key? The breath of the word of God. The life-changing, life-giving power of God's word. When he speaks, things happen. Things will happen. Genesis 1, all of creation was, and God said. It didn't say he went up there with his hands and put things together until man. But everything else, let there be light, there was light. That was it. His words. Psalm 29, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. So what can we take away from here? Engage in the power of with the power of God's word. Understand God's word, not just reading your Bible daily, which we all should be doing anyway. But Lord, speak to me through your word. Speak to me, life. Memorize scripture if you're so inclined. Reflect on the power of God's word in your past. I do write things down when the Lord speaks because I don't want to forget. Lord spoke this. Here's the date. And then I can go back and say, oh, look at that. It happened. <clears throat> There's some that I'm still waiting for. Oh, wait, that hasn't happened yet. Let's go pray for that. Lord, make this work. So we have God bringing life in a desolate situation. We have the power, through the power of his word. But now we have the promise of restoration. The third point is highlighting the promise of, of his restoration. The vision of dry bones was a promise prophetically to the Israelites that they were going to be restored. It encourages us that God wants to bring restoration in our own lives, in our own situations, in our own areas. Let's read verses 12 12 through 14 of Ezekiel 37. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord, behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. of restoration. He doesn't just breathe life into something for no reason. He does it because he wants to restore. And he's using, again, this is a prophetic word of encouragement to Israel that, yes, you're in a terrible spot right now, but we're going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back. I'm not just going to leave you in Babylon. I'm going to bring you back to the place of your inheritance. God is always looking to restore, even in captivity which is where Israel is. In Babylon, they're in their mind, and at that time, probably the wickedest place they could be. Surrounded by idolatry and everything else. But he says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm not just going to leave you there. I'm doing a work. Maybe I'm doing a little dividing of soul and spirit, and then I'm going to put you back together and breathe life into you afresh. He brings restoration Jeremiah 30, verse 17 says something similar. But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds, declares the Lord. He doesn't just abandon us. When he's working on us, no, you could easily make the argument. In fact, it's the truth. They were there. It was their own fault. They were there because of sin. They were there because of iniquity and idolatry and all of these abominations that they had done. But the Lord doesn't just say, I'm going to punish them and... Do a lightning bolt from heaven. He says, no, let's find a way to make this better. Let's find a way to fix this permanently so we don't have to deal with this again. And when they left Babylon back, they never went back to idolatry to this day. When they left, that was gone forever. Unfortunately, that's what it took. But God said, let's make this permanent. Let's make this solution permanent and breathe life to it and restore Isaiah has a similar prophecy. Chapter 49, verse 19. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants and those who swallowed you up will be far away. You're so desolate. You're so devastated. You're so narrowed. There's no place for you to go. There's nothing around but he doesn't stop there, does he? Continuing on, we won't read all of the verses because it's a long chapter, but 22 through 26 is a, a place you could highlight if you wish. He says, but I will lift you up, my hand to the nations, and raise my signal to the peoples. Later on, verse 23, he says, then you will know that I am the Lord. because Not because I've punished you, but because I brought you back. I brought you back. Later on, verse 25, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken and they pray and the tyrant will be rescued. Not only am I gonna bring you back and restore you, then I'm gonna deal with the people who did this to you. It's amazing. Then he ends it, verse 26, Isaiah 49, then all flesh will know that I am the Lord, your Savior and your redeemer, the mighty God of Jacob. We need a promise of restoration. Maybe it's a specific promise of restoration. We have a general one that we can apply to anything. But maybe there's a situation in your own life—I know there are some in mine—where God needs a specific. I need a specific promise of restoration. Lord, give me a specific promise about this. What is it? Could be a relationship. Could be an area of personal growth. Could be anything. But Lord. I need a specific, clarifying word, a promise of restoration. And rely on God's power when he does speak and say, Lord, I know your power, the power that comes with your voice, with your words. I believe you. This is desolate, but you can bring life. This is apparently hopeless, but you're the God of hope. I had a situation I'll share when I was in Bible school, my first term. There was another student there, and we just didn't get along. We did not see eye to eye. We had conflicting personalities. And there was one time specifically where we were very heated with each other. And we both, for our own sanctification, said, well, let's go walk away for a minute. And we walked away. And I said, "We." I went to my room, and he went to his. And I prayed, and I said, Lord, what do I? I don't understand why we can't get along. We're we're Christians. We're like-minded. We just had conflicting personality. I said, Lord, what do I do? And he goes, go apologize. And I'm like, for what? (laughs) I didn't do anything. It's his fault. And I said, okay, go apologize. So I knocked on his door. I'm so sorry. This is getting out of hand. Let's just try to work this out. And I was expecting him to say, you know what? You're right, brother. Let's work this out. But he looked, looked, literally got up looked at me and goes, okay, and then closed the door. <laughs> and I'm like, Lord, what happened? <laughs> but I went back to my room and I prayed. I said, Lord, I, I apologized. I was obedient like what you told me. And he just kind of spoke to me. says, it'll work out. We'll restore it. And over the next couple of weeks, things went by, and I just was keeping humility, keeping a low place. And out of the blue, he came up to me. says, you know what? I'm so sorry. I didn't initiate anything at that point. And the Lord had been dealing with him. Why? Because he was just as stubborn as I was and had the same issues I had, but the Lord had to work on him too. If I would have kicked his door back open and says, no, man, we got to figure this out, it would have made things worse. He wasn't ready. The Lord hadn't dealt with him yet. And now we're good friends. We get along fine. We joke about it now. He goes, remember that time we almost got in a fight at Bible school? <laughs> it's funny now, but the Lord restored a broken relationship. I mean, could you imagine explaining to Pastor Bailey that we got in a fight on the third floor? <laughs> Sorry, Pastor Bailey. But it was it wasn't quite that bad, but it was getting close. We just every time we went somewhere, we just never got along. But the Lord fixed it. He brought restoration. Not through anything I did. All I did was say, hey man, I'm sorry. And then he said, hey man, I'm sorry. And then he breathed new life into that relationship, which is what he can do and what he will do. So let's tie this all together. Verse 14, Ezekiel 37, 14. I will put my spirit within you and you will live. And I will place you in, our hand, in, our, in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord. The Lord says, I will put my spirit in you. Now he's talking to the bones. He's talking to the you and the flesh. But he's also talking to us. I will put my spirit in you. And what does Romans eight eleven tell us? If that same spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He will quicken, or you will give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. That same Spirit that brought life to those dead bones, created that exceeding great army, dwells in us. It quickens us. It gives life to our mortal bodies. It creates something new. Second Corinthians 5.17 is another verse. If anyone is in Christ, he is anew, Creation, the old passes away, behold, the new has come. The Spirit, through Christ, in us, is life-giving, life-changing, creative, brings new life into dried, desolate, hopeless, insert your adjective here, situations. All through his powerful voice, through believing in him. If Ezekiel would have said, now, Lord, I don't think this is going to work. What would have happened? I, said, well, I don't know. I'm glad we don't know, because I'm glad he was obedient and said, "Lord, only you know what's going to happen here." And that's what I did with that that young man at Bible school. I said, "Lord, I don't know what to do. We don't get along. Can we fix this?" If I would have went in there and said, "I hate that guy forever," or worse yet, other things would have escalated. Just said, "Lord, I don't know what to do," and he said, "Go apologize." Oh, really? <laughs> That's what he said. We can trust in God's power to bring life in a dead situation. Do you believe in God's power? Do you trust that he's got it figured out, that he knows he can bring life to your areas of dryness and desolation, whatever they might be? That's takeaway number one. Takeaway number two, engage with God's word. Engage more deeply with God's word. Not just, like I said, reading our Bibles, but be specific. Lord, I need a specific word. I need something specific for this situation. Speak to me. Psalm 33, 9, last verse. or No, sorry, second to last verse. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Finally, third point, hope in restoration. Third takeaway, hope in restoration. Ask God for specific promises for restoration, even when things seem hopeless. Revelation 21.5, he was seated on the throne and said, behold, I am making all things new. And he also said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He says, I'm going to make everything new. You can trust me. I am trustworthy. My word is true. There is hope he can make all things new. And I'd like to end with a brief story of a 20th century man named Ernest Shackleton. We might've heard of him before. He was a British explorer. He led three expeditions to the Antarctic. His most famous expedition took place in 1914 on a ship called, appropriately enough, the Endurance. Their goal was to cross the Antarctica from one side to the other, crossing over the South Pole. Before they landed, they were trapped in ice, in the ice glaciers and ice flows. Their ship was crushed and it sank. And here they are stranded out on the ice floating in the middle of the Antarctica. And he and his 27-man crew were completely stranded, desolate, most inhospitable place on earth probably. They seemed hopeless. They were thousands of miles from civilization. 1914, they didn't have very any communication. It was freezing regularly, 8 to 10 below zero. Hunger, obviously no food, and the threat of predatory animals whenever they did get wherever they were going to go. But they didn't give up. Shackleton and his men went on a perilous journey over the flows. They found some small lifeboats from the ship and sailed over 720 nautical miles to Elephant Island, where they were, where there was a little bit of a refuge to at least have a place to set up a camp. And then Shackleton took five more people and went another 800 miles to South Georgia Island where he knew there was a whaling station and was able to bring back life, and his men were saved. Like the dry bones in Ezekiel's situation, these men were in a terrible situation. They were, there was no hope really, but they didn't give up. With determination, which we can symbolize with trusting in God's power, trusting in his life-giving power. I trust you, Lord. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm not giving up because I know you're going to be with me. Careful navigation. They had to figure out where they were going. Following God's word, being obedient to him. When he speaks, we listen. An unwavering belief in rescue. You can't be in a situation and say, we're done, we're sunk. You have to say, nope. I'm holding on because somebody's got to be out there. We have to find something somewhere. We have to figure it out. We have to believe that God will restore and look for an un- a specific promise for restoration. And through all of that, they were over- able to overcome. They were rescued. Amazing. This story is a reminder to us That's a dire situation. I don't know if I've ever been that bad. Imagine running away from polar bears or whatever. (laughs) I don't even know what's down there. But if it's every day minus 10, we got a problem. Engage in his word, trust in his power, believe that he can bring life to a situation. Do we trust him? Are we engaging in his power? And remember, there's always hope for restoration. Amen. So three questions, really. First of all, is there any area, dryness in us, where we need, Lord, to breathe fresh life? Lord, breathe life. Breathe life into this area of dryness. Or maybe there's a desolate, hopeless situation. Do we trust in the power of God's life-giving, life-creating word? Finally, if we need something specific, a word of restoration. Three areas where we can respond this morning. I'm going to close my eyes because this isn't between me and you. It's between God. Let's just put our hands up and respond to him and say, Lord, we believe you. All right? And we'll pray together, okay? Lord, we're so thankful for this example this morning. This encouragement from Ezekiel. And Lord, if we have areas of dryness in us, I think... I know I do, Lord, and I just ask that you would come and you would breathe life into us afresh this morning. Breathe your life-giving breath. Lord, join bone to bone. Give life within us afresh, Lord. Lord, and we say together collectively, we trust in the creative power of your word. We know when you speak, your word will come to pass. So, Lord, we ask that you would rehearse words spoken in the past. Give us new words of encouragement as well. And Lord, finally, we believe in you for restoration, whether it's a relationship, whether it's an area of improvement in our own lives, whether it's something that's been forgotten and needs to be resurrected. Lord, we ask that you would come and you would restore all that has been taken away or all that has been lost or left. Lord, we trust in you for specific words of restoration this morning. We believe you and we have and we take hope in you. We just ask, Lord, that you would seal this word to our hearts this morning. Lord, and that you would let us leave from here, transformed, and take action on these things we we learned of this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. And we'll see you in two weeks, actually. (laughs) God bless you all.